The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today, we are continuing on our series on talking about communications. In the last couple of shows, we focused on communication under crisis and then communication and making your message stick. What are the things that you can do that add impact to your message? We've also talked about what managers really want to hear from their, or what employees want to hear from their managers, particularly in times of change. Now, today's show is focused specifically around communication with your direct reports, people that are working for you. And we want to be focusing on giving coaching as a manager and giving feedback. So with me today is Annie Richardson. Annie is a fabulous colleague. Um, She does a lot of coaching. She does a lot of training programs teaching managers to be better coaches. And she works with me on developing some feedback sessions as well. So Annie, welcome to the show. Wanda, welcome, and thank you so much for asking me to participate. A pleasure always to speak to you. Delighted to have you with us then. All right, so I want to make a distinction here as we start. Often when we use the word coaching, we're talking about hiring a coach from outside to come in to work with an individual and help them improve their capability or make a transition to a different job. But I want to start talking about the manager as the coach, So a manager who coaches their direct reports to improve performance or to increase their capability or to develop. So I'm going to use the word all the way through coaching manager, but that's what I mean, a manager who is coaching, not an external hire. So I routinely start leadership programs and I ask people to say, to name somebody that they admire within their organization and to give me the actions that that person does that sets them apart from everybody else. One of the things that I routinely hear, not the top two or three, but certainly among the set, is that the manager is a great coach. Now, does that hold with your experience? And do you think you have to be a great coach to be an admired leader? Well, it's interesting that you said, Wanda, that the top two or three, you know, it appears in that list. Because simply, yes, I think a good leader does have to be a good coach. And it's a facet of what they do. Um, Just because they've got some of those coaching skills to use with their direct reports, that doesn't automatically mean they're going to be a great leader. But it's a key facet of their approach. So do do you find in your experience that every manager can become a great coach? Or are some people just not cut out to be a good coach? 
uh, well, hey, simple as no, not every manager is a great coach. Um, and the reason for that is that, oh, how can I put this? Not every manager can listen uh, and not every manager can give up the temptation of telling people what to do. There's a lovely quote in a coaching book by John Whitmore, which says, you know, it may be harder to learn to coach than it is giving up to instruct. And I think that for a lot of managers it is a key, a key stumbling block that they struggle to get over. <laughs> so giving up the temptation to tell what to do it certainly resonates with my experience in working with people <laughs> and, and part of the belief I think is you know I know what needs to be done especially as an expert leader why can't I just tell you isn't that more expedient isn't that what I'm supposed to do as a manager so why do you say that that's such a hard thing to do when you're coaching I, I think it's because I think there is this belief that as, as the manager they should have all the answers and I think it's also their experience of all their years as managers and leaders that perhaps certainly at the beginning, that predominantly would have been how they started to make their mark, by showing their value, by telling people what to do. But of course, as you go from management through to leadership, it takes on a different quality. And that's hard. You know, Some of the skills that have got you to where you are, you now it almost feels like I have to start and give those up. And you've got to ask more questions and listen. And that perhaps doesn't feel the same as just telling people what to do because surely that's why you were hired. Totally agree. That's the expert leader. I know what to do. I know how to get it done. My job is just to make sure you understand it. Um, But why can't I tell? I mean, what's so wrong with telling? Doesn't that, I mean, does that not lead to effective behavior at the end of the day? Well, if you're going to get people to really buy in to the direction, the vision, whatever you want to call it, then they've got to be involved in that solution, that um, set of actions. And if you purely tell people what to do, they have no involvement. They haven't helped create the solution. They haven't become involved or bought into what the desired actions are. So their commitment, their um, preparedness to take part could be and probably is very variable if all that is done is just to tell them what to do. I find the same, that when you tell people what to do, as tempting as I agree it is, um, (laughs) then you have to police it, then you own it. Whereas when you can get them to come up to the solution, you're much more likely to get buy-in and commitment and engagement. All right, so you said that great managers have to learn to listen. Is there anything else great man- or great coaches have to learn to do? Um, well, it's, it's interesting because listening is, I think, a very um, underrated skill. Um, you know, if I can pinch a line from Daniel Goleman, you know, he, he would say that uh, poor listening is like the common cold of leadership uh, because we all listen, don't we? Of course we do, you know, and, and in workshops I'll say to people, you know, every minute of every day you're listening, aren't you, to what's being said. But of course there's different qualities of listening and it's not just listening to what's being said, but it's really understanding what is being said. Um, and, and that is a quality that it takes some managers, some coaches, a time to develop because 
it's very easy to jump in and assume you know what they're going to say. You know what they mean. And, of course, that very rarely is the reality. Um, So really listening and taking time to understand is a key um, pinnacle skill in actually getting the engagement with the people. All right, so in some ways we're back to Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People um, from ages ago. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Um, And I happen to agree with you that listening is a very difficult thing to do when you are listening for real understanding as opposed to listening for confirmation about what I've already thought. Um, Ellen Cohen, one of my favorite writers on this from Babson, also has some notions that great coaches are good at receiving feedback, not at just Uh, giving feedback. Is that your experience as well? uh, It is very much my experience. Uh, And, you know, I often, um, and and I've just written some articles on feedback, and um, I've been saying, you know, in some ways I feel sorry for feedback because it has such a bad reputation. Um, And when leaders, when managers, when coaches look at this, uh, they can focus very much on how they give coaching, how they give feedback. But, of course, you're quite right. It's how they receive it. And I say to them, you know, when you receive feedback, do you role model, you know, accepting it openly and graciously and, you know, without any sort of uh, twitches or flinches in your facial expression? Because people will watch you. And if they see you flinch, receiving feedback that's the role model so therefore feedback can't be a good thing so the essence of really being a good coach is yet to be able to give great feedback and to role model accepting it because that sends a a very consistent and if you like supportive message to everyone around you um, and hopefully makes the feedback culture if you like more alive in an organization so interesting, this notion that as the manager, if I'm open to receiving the feedback and I signal that it's an important one, it's a good thing, and I'm willing to take it in a calm, even-keeled manner, not flinching, as you say, then I signal to everyone around me that this is just the normal course of events, and we're all going to get better as a result. Yeah. Let's turn to the opposite direction. Do you believe that every direct report can be coached? Is this something we should try with everyone who works with us or not? Uh, gosh, Wanda, that's a really interesting question. Um, no, not every direct report can be coached because I think you have to look at the situation for every scenario. And, you know, um, for someone to be coached, they've got to be at the point of readiness and openness to want to engage in, in the process. And some people won't be for whatever reason. You know, you've got to look at what's the rapport, what's the relationship like between the coach and their direct report. Because I often say, you know, rapport is like a foundation to support the coaching conversation. And if that rapport, if that trust, if that understanding isn't there, you're not going to have a coaching conversation. And a coach that tries to persist when that rapport, when that foundation isn't in place they're not going to go anywhere. They they won't get the right engagement. They won't get honest responses. They will get at best perhaps what they're expecting to hear. 
Um, you know, and I, I often say to them, you have to remember, a direct report may think of a coaching conversation if the rapport isn't in place as a career-limiting conversation. <laughs> they may not want to admit, perhaps, some of the things they're struggling with or some of the things that they want to explore in more detail because maybe they've got caught up in this, I should know the answer. That's why I'm hired. I should know all the answers. And it takes a while to get that foundation in place to support a coaching conversation. So then trust, you just use the word rapport, and I'm going to emphasize the notion of trust, that without yeah. trust between the manager and the direct report, the direct report is going to be guarded. They're going to be a little yeah. more hesitant to put forth what they really think or feel. They're really going to be hard to admit what I'm not really good at as a direct report. And I would also wager not necessarily going to take the coaching conversation in its best with its best intent. Yeah. Fair enough? I, I totally agree. And I often think back to my own corporate career. And I had a really great manager, uh, a director at the time. And, you know he would often talk to me in quite direct ways about a whole range of things to do with my career. And, you know, when I think back, I never questioned um, the validity because I trusted him. I knew that he had both, if you like, the organization, but most importantly, my best interests at heart. And that trust led me to be very open and take on board some really important messages um, but without that trust, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Fabulous. So, Annie, let me see if I can recap before we take a break. So, the notion that is that the best, the most admired leaders, managers are good at coaching. To be good at coaching, we've really got to listen and listen for understanding, not just listening to assume you already know what's going on. That takes time, patience, and a whole host of other skills that we'll talk about shortly. Um, not every direct report can be coached. The ones that are open to the coaching and ready for the engagement, and more importantly, people who trust you as the manager and with whom you already have some rapport are the ones that are going to take the coaching conversation in its most um, positive light. Does that summarize well enough? Perfect. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue with Annie talking about how you coat. What does the process look like? What are the steps you need to go through? And what are the skills you can or things you can do to develop your skills in coaching as a manager? I'm talking with Annie Richardson, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. 
Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. We've been talking about communications with direct reports, particularly as a manager, how do you coach your direct reports to improve their performance and develop their own skills? With me today is Annie Richardson. Annie is a fabulous colleague and a coach herself, but more importantly, she runs training programs to teach managers how to become better coaches. So in this last segment, we were talking about the requirements of being a coaching manager and having a coaching conversation and that you need to develop trust and rapport with your um, direct report. Otherwise, the coaching conversation is going to go the way you want it to go. And we were also talking about the necessity of listening and listening for understanding, not just for confirmation. So, Annie, when you train managers to be better coaches, what's the secret ingredient? What do they have to learn to do apart from the listening? Okay. Um, when I run some workshops with them, there's a, always a big aha moment. When I get them to put themselves in the shoes of their manager coaching them. So I ask them to think about their mindset and attitude when they're going to coach and what they're going to say to the direct reports and how they want it to go. And then I ask them, okay, so I want to turn this around now. When you're receiving coaching from your manager, what are you looking for? And it's amazing, the big ahas that all of a sudden they come up with things that, oh, well, they, they want to know their manager, you know, cares. They want to know their manager's prepared to spend time. They want to know their manager values. But when they were in the mindset of what they were going to do, they didn't think of those things. They didn't think about really focusing on the other person. It's all about what do they have to say? How do, you know, how are they going to come across? So the secret ingredient on top of listening is them really to be able to take the time to put themselves in the shoes of the direct report and really show that understanding and empathy to connect with them, to really get um, that engagement. 
because it's the engagement, the real, um, it's almost like a, a connection that's going to support the development and the coaching conversation. All right, so we're back to this notion of what you need to do to develop. Um, in some ways, I think it's about lowering the defenses of the person being coached, that they feel very engaged and invested and committed and supported in doing that. You've already talked about how important listening was, but now you're adding this notion of showing that you care, showing that you value the person for what they're contributing at the moment, and showing that you're willing to spend time as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But there's a piece I sometimes say is like, can they be genuinely curious um, and, and genuinely interested to want to find out? And, and, that, and I stress the word genuine, not just going through a process, not just saying the words, but be genuinely curious and, and to be able to show the other person that they're really listening and understanding and showing that genuine curiosity. So how do you show that you're listening um, or that you've got genuine curiosity? Okay, well, you know, I can say the classic things of, well, you know, eye contact, nodding, you know, um, and, and, you know, listening is not just pausing, waiting to say the next sentence. You, it's, and I don't know how you'd fake this, but you've got to have the genuine mental thought process going on. You've got to be listening to every word. You've got to be showing that interest. Now, I can't explain to you, Wanda, how you do that. I know how you don't do it. <laughs> I know that you just completely go closed. You don't engage with your body language. You look away. So it's all the opposites of those things. And I don't think anyone, well, I haven't met anyone who can convince me um, when they fake genuine curiosity you know when someone is really interested in what the content is that's been said and what the purpose of the dialogue is. Okay. All right. So there's all the things that we would use in our body language that conveys um, interest and openness and willingness to listen. So, again, the eye contact. You know, but you can use eye contact to completely intimidate somebody if you stare stare them down. So presumably this is an appropriate level of eye contact, not too intense. Yeah. And, and of course, if you are genuinely listening and you are genuinely curious, well, of course, I suppose the next magic thing that happens is that the next questions that you ask are based entirely on the messages that you're picking up. So you straight away start to veer away from any um, scripted coaching conversation. It becomes very real and very um, pertinent to what's been received. Um, It's it's a classic scenario that uh, we often have many sales calls coming through and you always know it's a sales call because you can tell it's a scripted call. You know, and people say, how are you today? And you say, well, pretty awful. And they go, oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> they haven't listened. And I know that's a cliche, but it, it really is that if you really have that genuine curiosity, that genuine interest, the next question you ask will connect directly with the content. 
So that's an interesting one. It's the follow-on comment or question you make that indicates that you really have listened and understood, um, not just a stating stating your core message. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, how important? And then we've got all the body language components and the eye contact and so forth that kind of reinforce that. How important is it to ask questions rather than to make statements? <laughs> well, I think that's the, the the crux of any coaching conversation. You have to ask questions. Um, now, the best questions are usually the most simplest, and you know, and and in if you like a coaching process, there are lots of different types of questions. But the best questions usually are the simplest um, based on the content. But very often, questions that also seek to get more understanding. So it might be something as simple as, tell me more about that. Or, you know, you said you were, you know, anxious. Anxious in what way? You know, what's, what's causing that? Have that genuine... Um, I know that genuine focus, but also, and I've just realized I was doing it in my voice, um, for me, certainly, it's about how I ask those questions. Because, you know, to say to somebody, what's causing you to be anxious, depending on how you say it, will have a totally different impact, um, whether it's said with, you know, a threatening tone or whether a genuine, supportive, inquiring tone. Yeah, I can certainly. I certainly see the difference between that. So, what makes you think that, as opposed to, well, what makes you think that? Two, one is very open, and yeah. one is very attacking and challenging. Yeah. All right. So, you said that it's ba- it really is about using questions, and that the questions need to be based on what you have just heard. So, somebody has stated a feeling, an emotion, yeah. a concern, an issue, uh, something. And preferably something that was you had not expected necessarily to hear. And then I'm pursuing that statement. I'm like picking it up and pursuing it. So you said questions are things like what's causing that. Do you have any other kind of favorite questions? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, so um, there's a being technical for a moment. There's a something called a technique called clean questioning. And clean questioning is a process where you ask a question that in no way presupposes the answer. So if you're really going to be genuinely interested and curious, there is a piece where at times you might have to decide not to be on your agenda, but to really go to the agenda of the direct report to really understand what they're talking about. And so they might say, you know, um, you know, Wanda, I'm really finding it difficult to engage with the rest of the team. And rather than try and put words into the mouth, oh, you're finding it difficult to, um, uh, you know, socialize with them, or, uh, try and second-guess what they mean, just pull right back and say, oh, dif- you're finding it difficult. Difficult in what way? And that simple question, in what way, attached to whatever the pieces they've just said, gives them the opportunity to really explain and really open up what it is they're feeling. Now, it may take a couple of iterations to get to the bottom of what's difficult because maybe the fact that it's difficult is difficult to talk about. But just having the patience to do that, 
not just rushing on and missing and feel like pursuing the manager's own agenda rather than really getting into the crux of what is the issue for the direct report. So that's interesting. So now we had another quality um, as we were talking in the beginning about the need to be able to listen, the need to, uh, the body language, the tone, um, the stopping from telling, and now you're also adding patience to that. I like the way you said that frequently what you can do as a coaching manager is just to repeat a phrase that was said and ask for further explanation. So in what way or in what's causing that, just as a way of getting the coachee or the direct report to pursue that line of thinking a little bit further. Now, Amy, yeah. do you have a process you teach managers to use? Oh, gosh. Um, there, there are loads of techniques. There are loads of um, processes out there. You know, and anyone who's done any coaching will know the classic um, GROW model where, you know, you, you identify what it is someone wants to work on. You know, so what is it that you want to talk about? What is it that's be really helpful to you right now? You know, what is the agenda for you right now? So that's the goal, if you like. Then talking about the reality of what's actually happening. Um, then you can discuss, okay, so if, you, if it's what one you achieve, you want to achieve, what are the options? What, what ways could you take this forward? And then having explored those options, say, okay, so this is what you want. This is what's happening right now. You've come up with some suggestions. What are you going to take action on? What, what for you is the first place to start? You know, what's the first step? And, and that's called the GROW model, which is a very straightforward, simple process and really helps a lot of uh, leaders, managers, when they're learning to coach. Um, it's a bit clunky at first when they first get the hang of it, but after a time they get comfortable with the process and understand it's like covering the bases. But... The skill for me, more than anything, rather than any process that you can hook into, and there's lots, there's not just the GROW model, the real skill is this piece about really tuning in and really listening and then going a little bit with the flow, asking questions to explore. And whilst that same sounds a very straightforward thing, you know, that skill to hone it it really takes some time to practice because I sometimes say to um, managers, you know, the, the, the new going fast is going slow. And what I mean is, if you take the time to pace that conversation, to listen, to have that curiosity, to ask the questions, to use clean questioning, to really delve down, if you take the time to do that right at the beginning and in that process, whatever model of grow or whatever you're using, you're going to get a lot quicker to where you need to go than trying to rush on and think, oh, I need to be asking the next batch of questions. Oh, I need to be in this stage now. It's almost like letting go, relaxing a little bit, letting it go with the flow sometimes. But of course, that takes practice and skill. And there is a little bit of, it's like what you're talking about and being a leader, having to step outside the comfort zone. It may feel like when you do that, you're not in control. And that for some people and for some managers is quite scary. 
right, I like this. You just added two questions, two really, really nice questions to the repertoire we've been talking about in clean questioning. So to pick up on something that was a phrase that had been used and ask in what way or ask um, uh, what's causing that. But then you also have questions like what are your options? What could you do? And what are you going to do next? What's your first step? All of which are just great questions that you can ask to get someone you're coaching to think about, to take ownership, and to engage with. All right, so we're going to take a break. Let me just sort of summarize, Annie, what I have heard from you in terms of what it takes to be a great coach as a manager. One is that ability to really, really listen. Two is to avoid the temptation to tell. Three is to be genuinely curious to find out what is going on for your direct report. Um, Four is to be able to ask questions that are based on what you're hearing. Five is about the body language, the tone with which you use the openness that you show. Six is about the rapport that you have built in the past. Um, Seven is about the patience. And eight is about the quality of questions. How's that for a summary? I was going to say, you know, Wanda, you should be a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to turn this conversation to talk about the polar opposite. The less easy part, which is giving feedback. How can you give feedback and how do you move from feedback into coaching? We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Annie Richardson. Annie is a colleague and a fabulous coach, as well as training managers on how to be more effective as a coaching manager or how to have a coaching conversation with your direct reports. We've been talking about coaching with a long list of things that managers need to learn to do. I won't give the entire list, but I'll just give you a couple highlights. At the top of the list is this ability to learn to listen, to be genuinely curious about what's going on, and to avoid the temptation to tell. That means you have to be skilled in the kinds of questions that you can ask. You also have to build rapport and trust, otherwise it's going to be received in a different way than you intended. And the last piece I'm going to say is about the body language and patience, the timing that it takes to get there. All right, so now I want to flip the conversation and go from coaching to this notion of giving feedback. And in a bit, we have the cart before the horse, because often it's the case that a manager will give feedback about something that needs to be improved, and then later move into a coaching conversation. Um, But let's start with giving feedback. Now, Annie, you and I have worked on this one together in a series of programs where we've been teaching the methodology for giving feedback We use an acronym called EAR, Event Action Result. There are many of these models. They all look fundamentally alike. Situation Behavior Impact, Situation Task Action Result, they're all the same thing. But basically to give feedback, what you want to do is to name an event, a specific moment in time, describe the action that was said, what was said or done, and then to describe the result. Okay, so Annie, let me turn to you on that one. And you say, do in your experience, do you find that that model really works as an effective way to give feedback in all situations? Um, I have to say, Wanda, yeah, I do. Um, the reason I say that is, um, you know, in lots of the workshops that we've run together and, and that I've run independently, I'm amazed when I say to people, um, so, you know, how do you structure your feedback? And I get rambling, um, I don't know, discussions or descriptions of, of, well, you know, the situation. And it's very rare that they have um, a tight formula, if you want to call it that, that helps them structure what needs to be a concise and succinct and clear message. Um, very often they try and put too much in and spend too long getting to the point. So those very simple steps that you outlined, they really help people structure and, if you like, get to the point in a way that enables the feedback to be accepted and understood. All right, so you're not of the school then that um, feedback needs to be an hour-long discussion. It can be <laughs> a couple minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes. Well, it's interesting. I've, I've, in a recent blog I, I've written on the website, it says, if you've raised a topic of feedback with a direct report 
and you haven't got to the point within five minutes, disaster. Because they'll start to think, ah, I'm getting confused. What's this about? Because it's not clear what the message is. That's perhaps a mild reaction. The worst reaction is they'll start to think, oh, this is taking a while to get to. This must be really bad. So they'll get anxious. And once you've got anxiety in the room, it all becomes so much harder. If you can give a clear, simple, concise, to-the-point message in a timely way, it takes the anxiety out of everybody's scenario. So I really am for, you know, you have to have the rapport. You have to have had that relationship built. Once again, rapport is the foundation for giving feedback, the same as it is for a coaching conversation. But once you're there, concisely do it. Don't spend half an hour getting there. Okay, so now presumably that means I have to have thought about what I'm going to say as the manager Uh and be prepared for it. Yes, yeah, and and that's why those processes you outlined were brilliant. People have to prep. Okay. All right. So there's a prep. So no. Now, one of the things that I find when people are giving very specific or following this formula, the event, the action, the result, is that it forces it into observable behavior. We lose that you're not a very good communicator or you're not a very good team player or you're not very strategic description stuff and puts it much more in concrete actions, what you did and what you said. Yeah. And, and I think for me as, as well, um, Wanda, um, I have a bit of a, um, I'd say, a bee in my bonnet um, about something I call business babble. You know, and some of those phrases that you just said, uh, particularly things like, you know, you're not very strategic. I'd put that under my heading of business babble because, so what does that mean? You know, what actually does that mean in terms of what somebody says or what somebody does? And if the feedback doesn't go down to that level of behavior, then the direct report will interpret it more likely in a way that you didn't mean because it's not clear. And, you know, I remember as a a young aspiring career woman many years ago being told I needed to be more strategic. And I thought, yes, yes, I need to be more strategic. But I never asked what that meant I should do or say. Um, and I, I dare say at that point in time, I didn't change anything because I didn't know what it meant. And I think coaches, managers have to be clear on the behavior that they're referring to. Okay. I like that. I'm, I often have managers say to me, well, I've given the message and I'm not getting any action. Um, but like you, when, the, when it's not understood, when it's not actionable, uh, when it sounds like a, a fancy thing, but I don't know what to do tomorrow differently, then you're not going to get action. Yeah. Okay. In your experience in working with managers around giving feedback, what do you think gets in the way of managers? So we have a formula. We have having gotten a concise language. We have the prep that goes into it. We have the rapport. What else gets in the way of giving great feedback? I th- I think there's... Uh, A starting point for a lot of people is that they assume that it's going to be received negatively Um, and they probably have in their head um, memories and models of 
uh, and thirty um, incidences of negative feedback being received badly. And I, and I think one of the things I sort of say to them as a starting point is to be very clear in their own mind. What's the purpose of the feedback? What's causing them to want to give the feedback? What do they want to be the desired outcome? And, you know, and if it's to help somebody develop, if it's to help somebody do their job or improve their performance better, then that's, if you like, that will shape the style and the impact of the feedback from the word go. You know, if they're annoyed at somebody and so the purpose of giving the feedback maybe is to, I don't know, score a few points, put somebody down, that, that's not the right mindset to giving feedback. So I say that the managers, the coaches have to really have a good talk to themselves. You know, what's my purpose here? What's my intent? And use that as the starting point. Because certainly for me, if I know that my intention is a positive one, that gives me permission to give feedback. Um, a thing I also say to people is, you know, if you don't give people feedback, then it's very unlikely they're going to understand what's going wrong. And most people, they want to understand. It's about empowering them, giving them the opportunity to um if you like, change things. Most people want to do better. Most people want to improve themselves. So it is about putting some of these thoughts at the front of their mind to help them, if you like, get their mindset that feedback is a good thing. They're not criticizing somebody. They're not um, critiquing, critiquing them in a bad way. And I think a lot of it can be in the head of the manager that stops them going forward. They're frightened they're going to have the conflict. Okay. I agree with you. I think managers are afraid that they create a worse problem if they give the feedback than if they never give the feedback. But I also agree with you. I watch on a regular, almost on a daily basis, somebody who gets passed over for an opportunity in one form or another and has no clue why they were passed over. Had they been given the feedback, it's very likely they could have corrected that, changed it, altered it, improved it, developed whatever, and would be now a candidate for whatever opportunity came through. Um, unfortunate, but I think that's certainly part of the case. So if we come back to what you've said about feedback, there is a formula, a structure, if you will, that helps a manager think through what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. There's an intention, a kind of looking in the mirror and saying, what's my intent or purpose in holding this feedback conversation? There's forming the message in a concise, crisp way that's actionable and doesn't use the business babble, as you said. Um, and there's also, of course, the underlying rapport. The greater trust there is, the easier it's going to be to have that feedback conversation. The less trust, the harder it's going to be able to do to do that one. Okay, now, Andy, just a couple of minutes before we go to the next break. How do you shift from giving feedback to coaching? Or more importantly, when do you shift from one to the next? Okay. Simply, when you give the feedback, you have to watch and listen. If in your anxiety of giving the feedback, you think, right, I've given it, that's that bit, right, now I'm going to move straight on to a coaching conversation, wrong. You have to stop. Give the feedback, watch, listen, look for changes in their demeanor, look, you know, listen to any questions they may ask, 
And you need to check, first of all, that they've understood the feedback. And then perhaps something that isn't quite so easy to ask about. But the next thing is, do they accept it? So a question after you've given feedback is, you know, can I just check, you know, what have you understood by what I've said? You know, what message are you taking away? Because if someone's received some feedback that is, to them, maybe a shock or maybe very threatening, if for whatever reason, their head goes into overdrive. And if as the manager you persist and then go into a coaching conversation, you are wasting your breath. They will not engage, they will not hear, because in their head they're going, oh my God, and they're in another world. And they will not hear. So you have to stop. You have to check that they've understood what you said. And you may not persist. You may say, look, just take some time and think this through. Perhaps, you know, we can speak tomorrow or maybe we speak later today. Give them some time to, if the acceptance, if you, you know, if you can see that there's a, a big intake of breath and maybe a bit of denial in them, you've got to give them some time. Okay, great. Um, so I, I like that notion that you wait to make sure that the message has been understood and been accepted and that you stop and ask questions and have people make sure that they've heard it and had time to process it. All right, Andy, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to spend just a few minutes to talk about delegating, um, which is the last piece of the communication with direct reports. We'll be right back. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm Wanda Wallace. With me today is Annie Richardson. Annie is a colleague and a superb coach, as well as someone who trains managers on how to do coaching. And we've been talking about the communication with direct reports, particularly around how do you give feedback and then how do you move from feedback into a coaching conversation with a direct report. As I sort of summarize through all of this, I think from the feedback, the most important parts are the notion of having a formula, a structure 
to doing a lot of preparation to be concise and then making sure that once again, you stop to listen to understand what your um, direct report has heard and has processed and given them time to process it. And then from that, once they've understood it, we can begin the coaching process where, again, the hallmark is listening and patience. So now, Annie, I want to focus on the last small part, not small, significant part of communication with direct reports, which is delegating. Do you have any tips for helping managers be more effective as delegators? This, this is a really interesting one, Wanda, because uh, so many execs that I work with um, have this as an issue. Um, and the first thing is, I think you have to get them to accept that they need to delegate. I think there's a piece in some leaders' heads about, you know, they've got to do it all, um, and they should do it all, and and it's about, you know, it's not failing when when you actually go, you know what? I'm not Wonder, Ma- Wonder Woman or Superman. <laughs> you know, I can't work or do everything. Um, and that, that can be a big barrier for people. But once you get them to accept that actually, yeah, to be more effective, they need to be doing less and therefore perhaps empowering others to do more, maybe, you know, giving other, breaking tasks down and giving them to other people. Because I often say to them, of course, you know, how are you going to grow your people? How are you going to get the succession and people coming up who, you know, can build their skills? And it's only by delegating, sharing some of the load. And very often there's feedback documents that they might have from their direct reports where the message is saying, give me more to do, you know, let me stretch into that area. And they suddenly realize, woof. By trying to be so perfect themselves, by trying to do everything, they're actually holding back some of their more aspiring direct reports. All right, I certainly hear this all the time. The best example I heard just last week was somebody recognizing that they'd become the bottleneck for the organization because they weren't delegating. All right, so the first part is getting people to accept the need to delegate, and you gave several good reasons for why to do that. Any tips on how to delegate? Well, because as a good coach, you never want to be too directional. I often say to them, say, you know, are there any people around you, your boss or or colleagues, peers you've got, that you recognize as being good delegators? And if possible, I get them to come up with what they think good delegation is. Um, And it's about discussing what's appropriate in their organization because, you know, you and I work in a range of organizations and there's a dynamic and a, and a culture in those organizations and what's appropriate for one environment wouldn't necessarily be appropriate for another one. So if I can, I'll actually try and draw out of them what they think the key aspects for delegation are and to get them to identify what some of the first steps would be. Okay, and one hint on one aspect that you often hear? Uh, sometimes, you know, it's just, it's just letting go and doing it because the world doesn't stop. The sword of Damocles does not descend and cut them in half. Um, sometimes I think it's that fear of letting go. And I, I very often say, well, just try the first thing. Just try a little bit of something 
And then they come back in a few weeks later and say, you know what, I actually gave that task to someone and yet there's some key things about being clear about what it is you want them to do, you know, having some regular check-in points and making clear to the person who you've delegated to that you're there for support if they need it. There's all those practical, if you like, management things to do. But it's about getting them to do it, to take that first step. And then they come back and say, you know what? That was great. <laughs> it, it wasn't that hard after all. Um, and that, that, for me, I think is shows that they're actually taking that first step and doing it, putting it into action. Critical first step. Andy, thank you very much. Um, I think as I'm looking through the conversation today around communication with direct reports, the things that really stand out for me are this notion of listening, 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 listening. Um, pan parallel with some patience and some avoiding of the temptation of telling people what to do. And then the, the final thing that stands out for me is this whole notion of the quality of the questions, the way you ask the questions, the rapport you have, and all of those create the foundation for what makes for great coaching. So, Annie, thank you for being with us. Pleasure. And then Pleasure. next week, we're going to start a new series on emotional intelligence. With us will be Josh Friedman, who's a leading researcher and writer on EQ for many, many, many years. Josh has some great points to make about what it takes to develop your own emotional intelligence. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.